0: This is Ron Stockton. I wanna tell you about my retired colleague, Bernie Klein. He died in April of 2020, an early victim of the coronavirus. He was living in a retirement community and was having a very good life. He was 91. He told his nurses that as soon as they could spring him, he was planning a road trip. This podcast, which I wrote when he died, will be of interest to those of you who graduated from UM UM-Dearborn, or who are just interested in a profile of a unique personality. The first time I met Bernie Klein was when I came for a job interview in 1973. I was two hours late. Uh, Don't ask, but just let me say I'm not good with maps, especially with finding a small new campus that is not even identified on the one I had. I came rushing into Bernie's office, flustered and embarrassed. Bernie was very calm. He said, they're waiting for you. He took me to the place where I was to deliver my talk. The faculty were sitting there with brown bag lunches. Everyone was gracious. Peter Armand was there and Don Proctor and Dennis Papazian. Don Anderson and Frank Wayman were the other political scientists. I was surprised that they gave me the job. Thanks, guys. Bernie had a record that no one in the annals of universities has ever achieved, and no one will ever achieve again. For three separate times, on three separate occasions, he was the chancellor of the same university. Three times, when chancellors left for other jobs, he was called into service. They were Goodall, Rennick, and Wilson, if you're curious. He was like one of those French Prime Ministers during the Fourth Republic in the 1950s who was in office, then out, then back in again. He was the go-to guy when the university needed someone who knew how to manage the place and would do no harm. He knew the university inside and out and had connections in Lansing and in Ann Arbor. He was someone everyone knew and everyone trusted. He was our Cincinnatus, one of us, a person called out of the classroom to lead. Someone who worked with him on two of those occasions said, the first time, we just had fun. The second time, we actually got some things done. Back in the 1980s, when I was department chair, which I will never do again, thank you, I nominated Bernie for the Distinguished Teaching Award. Bernie was not a researcher. If all faculty were like him, it would be an imbalanced program. But if all faculty were like me, it would be an imbalanced program. Students need a range of faculty styles, expertise, and pedagogical approaches. Bernie brought a unique richness to the classroom that none of the rest of us could bring in. He had two strengths in his teaching. The first was his vast store of experience. He knew state and local government from the inside out, and he knew the personalities who made those governments work. The other strength was that he always had an entertaining anecdote to illustrate the point being made by an otherwise boring textbook. He knew how to help students understand what had happened and why. His stories of the Detroit riot were legendary. Bernie was working for Mayor Cavanaugh at the time. One day he saw on television that a notorious furniture store was being looted. The looters were carrying off a sofa. This place was infamous for offering low prices, but at inflated interest rates that exploited the poor. Bernie looked at the picture of the looters and said they're still getting ripped off. Another story he told was when he was controller of the city of Detroit, that's like Treasurer. Once he had to appear before a group of investors trying to persuade them to buy Detroit bonds. The reality was that the reason Detroit needed to sell the bonds was that its budget was in free fall. Bernie said, I made the presentation re- reassuring them that a coming turnaround was on its way and then I waited for the lightning to strike. Needless to say, Bernie got the teaching award. In the 1980s, when the Michigan economy collapsed, there was a study of higher education in the state that proposed closing the University of Michigan-Dearborn as a cost-saving device. This was a great fear of our early leaders, including legendary Robin Fleming, that this university would not survive and that at some point someone would just pull the plug. And there were people in Ann Arbor hoping for this outcome. They were thinking that our budget would just be shifted west. That was not the way budgeting worked, but that was the way people were thinking. And now the idea was in print. I remember talking to Bernie about this. He was not concerned, but I pointed out that this was not just an idea floating around, but was now a written proposal. Let me talk to Blanchard about this, he said. Blanchard had been Bernie's student at Michigan State, and they had very good ties. The governor said to him, that will never happen, Bernie. Bernie wisely asked for the commitment in writing. Soon a letter arrived from Lansing reassuring us that the governor would never allow the closing of this campus. That historic letter is somewhere in our archives, most likely totally forgotten except for this reference. I doubt that anyone could find it. I suspect it may be in the box right next to the one holding the Ark of the Covenant, for those of you who remember the last scene of Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Some of Bernie's jokes got close to the line. He said PC was finally catching up with him. But he said he would not be deterred. They have had to grandfather me in, he said. One morning came in writing. It had to do with a joke that he said was the most vulgar joke ever told on the UM UM-Dearborn campus. Uh, you're going to have to contact me personally to hear that joke. There are limits to what I'll put in a podcast. Bernie went to the dean and said, why did you send me this letter? You were the one that told me the joke. The dean shrugged and said, well, that's just the way things are. Bernie was the kind of person who made everyone feel comfortable. If there was tension in a room, Bernie could diffuse it. Once in a meeting, a female announced, totally out of the blue, that her gynecologist had told her that she had the vagina of a 20-year-old. The guys in the room blushed and looked down at the table. Needless to say, by the way, she was not 20. We didn't know what to say, but Bernie did. I also have the vagina of a 20 year old. She lives down the hall. We laughed and suddenly everything was okay. There were a few times when Bernie would make one of those gracious offers that was hard to believe. He offered once to give up his annual salary increase if it would go to a junior faculty member who was in need. On another occasion, he offered to give up summer teaching if that would help a junior person. It never came to that, but those were sincere offers. It was not without cause that we loved him. Bernie loved to tell stories of growing up in Brooklyn. He was very proud of his father, who was a tailor. He told three stories that were memorable to me. One was when President Roosevelt came to town in a motorcade. Everyone in Brooklyn loved Roosevelt. The young Bernie was so excited that he ran alongside the presidential limousine. He remembered Roosevelt looking directly at him and flashing that famous FDR grin. But what especially stood out about that moment was that the gold filling in Roosevelt's tooth glistened as it caught the sun. On another occasion, the Republican governor of New York, Thomas Dewey, was driving by and stopped at the Klein shop to relieve himself. Afterwards, Bernie's father said, that's what you get from Republicans, piss. This was a family that knew which side they were on. Bernie told the story about 1948 when there was fighting in Palestine. <clears throat> American Jews were doing what they could to help the Jewish forces. Bernie heard a knock on his window in the middle of the night. It was some of his buddies. They told him to come with them to the docks. We're loading weapons onto a ship to go to Palestine. I would tell that story without a name to my class on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict to illustrate the worldwide arms smuggling network that operated during that war. Bernie seemed to know everyone of importance in Michigan and even above, and they knew him. His modest demeanor would mislead you regarding how influential he was. He told me once how a Democratic Party official had approached him about a judicial vacancy on the federal bench. The official said that the Jewish community had been very supportive in the last election and they wanted to thank them. Did Bernie have any thoughts on who might be a good person to nominate for a federal judgeship? Bernie suggested that Averin Cohen would be a good choice. Those of us who have followed Judge Cohen's amazing career and his passionate support for civil liberties during the last 40 years know what a significant result came from that short conversation. The last time I saw Bernie was a year ago. His dear friends, Joe and Pat Chepron, had arranged a small party for him at Fox Run a Retirement Community in honor of his 90th birthday. There were just a few people there, 10 in all. We had our meal, and then Bernie took over. It was like a stand-up routine. Bernie was showing signs of age, but mentally he had not lost a step. He regaled us with half an hour of uninterrupted entertainment. It was one joke after another no one was spared campus personalities public officials he even revived the most vulgar joke ever told on the Dearborn campus it was perfect after the event Jane and I drove Bernie to his own residence which was nearby he invited us in for some conversation everyone in the building seemed to know him especially the clusters of women in the apartment we spent another hour discussing old times Bernie and I both had doctorates from MSU, his a decade or so before I started, so we reminisced about professors and the university. We spent 10 minutes trying to recall the nature of one of the more quirky faculty members. We were like graduate students. It was lovely. These are my personal reflections on the most unique person ever to teach on my campus. He was hoping to make it to November so he could vote against Trump. But as the Rolling Stones remind us, you don't always get what you want. And now he is gone. We will not see his like again. Thanks for listening.